0: Hello, and you're very welcome to the week that really was here on Grip Media with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the second of March. It happens to be my birthday. I'm thirty year, thirty nine years young today. Um, but apart from that, it's been a busy week. Um, and one of the things that we want to talk about in this episode is the massive story in the University of Limerick this week, or I think at least it should be a massive story, where Mary Kenny, one of Ireland's greatest. Campaigners for feminism and women's rights over the decades was told that she was no longer welcome at an International Women's Day event on the grounds, according to the campaigners, of transphobia. Mary Kenny will join us very shortly uh, to discuss that. But before we get into it, Sarah, how are you?
1: I'm fine. I forgot that it was your birthday today. That's, Happy birthday, John. You caught up with me. 39.
0: Yeah, well, that's why I mentioned it. There was a distinct absence of, of birthday <laughs> greetings from you, Sarah. So I was for the benefit <laughs> Sorry, of the.
1: Reliably informed by Facebook this morning that it was indeed your day of birth, and I completely forgot about
0: it until this moment. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Well, we all have busy lives. Um, how are you?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I'm having a having a busy week. Um, right. the usual, you know. Uh,
0: was there any any story that caught your eye this week?
1: I'm following with very close interest the Niall Collins story. Um, I think it has yet to run. Uh, unfortunately, um, we will see. Perhaps
0: I find my we'll I be have discussing
1: to. that next week.
0: Yeah, we may do. Now, I said on Twitter, I find it hard to care whether somebody got planning permission um, twenty years ago before they were a TD yeah. or how they did it, um, and 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 without wanting to cast aspersions on anyone else's journalism, I, I find these patterns of stories that we're seeing in relation to government TDs and their planning history. Yeah. It feels very methodical. It feels like a lot of records are being being gone through methodically in order Mm -hmm. to uncover any discrepancies. Um, And, you know, people can make their own judgments on whatever the reasons for that might be. But it is fascinating, and it's one that I think has a little bit to run. But I'm very proud to say, um, because I've been an admirer of hers for many, many years, that uh, we are joined on the phone this week from her home in in southern England, by the journalist and feminist campaigner Mary Kenny. Mary, you're very welcome to the show.
2: Yes, good evening, John, and um, happy birthday indeed. You're terribly <laughs> young, which is a, a wonderful thing to be.
0: You were you were telling me earlier on today, Mary, that this is your 60th year, soon to be your 60th year in journalism. So that does make me feel young, but it also, I have to say. Leaves me a little bit in awe of you because I was going through earlier on today in preparation for this your career. And I was looking at some of the some of the things you accomplished. And, and the thing obviously that your best you in your early career you're most known for was the Irish Women's Liberation Movement. Um and the thing that struck me about that was we hear a lot about women's rights today, and it's a hot topic of conversation. Um you come from a, a, a you grew up, I should say, in in an entirely different era. When you founded with Nell McCafferty and others the Women's Liberation Movement, women obviously had to give up their jobs when they got married. That's a famous and well-known example. But women couldn't get a passport. Women couldn't open a bank account without their husband's consent. Women couldn't serve on a jury in Ireland that was reserved exclusively for men. And you were one of the people who 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 really. Um, challenged that and took it on. And I I read a famous paper that your movement wrote where you said that in 1970, if a woman wanted to keep her rights, she'd be better off living in sin than getting married. Um, Before we get into the meat of it, what are your impressions of, of, you know, how far women have come in your lifetime, first of all, and, and what's left to be accomplished?
2: Well, John, of course, with the perspective of age, um, one sees things more in in nuances as well. And, uh, of course, I was one of a group of women who founded the Irish Women's Liberation Movement in the early 1970s, and, um, and it was very, very uh, lively and accomplished a lot, actually, quite quickly. But... Um, uh, I think you know j- just to sort of uh, correct a couple of things that it is often said actually by younger people that that um, women had to give up their job on marriage. Well, they only applied to women working in government or state or semi-state bodies.
1: If Correct. you worked
2: in a, in private capacity, you could do what you liked. And I suppose the other thing about, um, you know, the, the restrictions of, of for example, certainly of getting credit, certainly getting a mortgage or um, taking out a credit card with a, uh, uh, you know, even with a shop like Brown Thomas, but they did ask for a mail counter signature. And of course, that was one of the things we thought was awfully silly because quite often, the women were actually more responsible about money than some of the sort of Jack the lad um, guys. But I have to say that um, these laws really, uh, these traditions were also in many other countries. And I mean, in France, a woman couldn't get a, a checkbook of her own until 1965. And contraception was also uh, theoretically against the law in France till 1967. So um uh, the notion that Irish women were absolutely singularly oppressed is uh, sometimes a little bit overstated. This was a movement of modernization and of changing um, social attitudes and updating, um, you know, a lot of things which had been just very old-fashioned. Um, and, uh, I mean, the jury service was in itself interesting because... Um, at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the free state, women did serve on juries actually, but they were s- often themselves so reluctant to do so that Kevin O'Higgins decided it would be better to uh, drop the qualification for women serving on juries at all, um, and I think that hap- that happened in the 1920s. Uh, so. Um, uh, you know, so it was really in the 1970s, indeed, a trying to restore something which had, which had been there at the beginning of the free state. So there were lots, lots of these uh, in, uh, sort of um, anomalies. But certainly, I think we were involved in updating and modernising um, life for women and bringing women more opportunities and empowerment. And there were fewer opportunities certainly for women certainly there were fewer opportunities for me when i was young and um so yes that so i think that was a very good thing to accomplish i i agree but of course there was a whole group of us who were involved
0: no no absolutely and uh, and very successful and, and you know made it made a lasting contribution to irish feminism which is presumably why you were invited to talk to students in the university of limerick on international women's day uh, you're now no longer so invited can you give us a brief sort of overview factually of what happened there. Who invited you and then when were you told you weren't welcome anymore, in
2: essence? Well, the formal person who invited me was Dr. Marie Conley, who um, you know, is the Officer for Equality, Diversity and Diversity um, uh, working at the Provost's Office in in, uh, uh, the University of Limerick. And um, I thought I'd never visited the University of Limerick. It has a a growing good reputation. And it was a nice uh, opportunity, you know, to, to, to be invited to to give the keynote speech for International Women's Day. And my, um, you know, my intention was to, uh, to give a sort of rounded history of the narrative of the women's movement and also to, we use that word diversity quite a lot. And really to kind of... Um, discuss that uh, feminism has been throughout the course of uh, its 200 years or, uh, or so, it has been a very diverse movement. You know, it was really started by quite serious American mm-hmm. Christians who were also anti-slave, anti-slave abolitionists, and but they were very, uh, they were very committed Christians, and that was also true on this side of the Atlantic. They tended to be very serious women. Who were involved in education as well, um, and so I mean, you, and then you had women later on. You had left-wing socialists, you know, like Rosa Luxemburg, or indeed our own dear Constance Markievicz. Um, but you know, through the ages, you had you've had women from every part of the political spectrum involved in feminism in different ways, and this is why it should be as a movement. It should be a broad church. And it shouldn't exclude, and there has been a a certain uh, uh, um, tendency to exclude women who um, are are deemed not to agree with other women. I suppose this uh, certainly was illuminated at the time of Repeal the Eighth um, Amendment. And there are pro-life feminists, actually, but they're not sort of allowed to be affiliated to other feminist movements, and I think that isn't fair, really, because I think we should draw on all the traditions that are within feminism. But of course, then um, w- this new, really very sharp split, which is arising within within the feminist movement of the transgender, uh, uh, the, ho- the uh, transgender ideology, and um, so next on Tuesday. I got a call from Dr. Connolly to say she was very sorry, but she had to disinvite me because um, she was receiving an absolute storm of protest um, against the idea of my being there because I was described as a transphobe. And um, so, you know, that was... So she said, we just have to stand you down. I mean, to be fair, she did sound upset herself and she didn't like having to do this, but she said that she said she couldn't expose me to the hostility that would come my way. And I did actually say, look, I'm an old bird. I don't mind a bit of robust debate. Uh, you know, I can handle it. Uh, um, but she said, no, 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 you, you can't handle this. It's too much. Oh. And so um, that was that. I was just stood down. I didn't actually put it in the public realm myself, but it did appear on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. yesterday I think and so um, it it has been a source of discussion and I must say there's been a huge amount of support again right across the board from different people saying we must have freedom of speech we can't have people cancelled and deplatformed and erased like this because it really is uh, it's closing down democracy.
0: Sarah what was your reaction when you, you heard or came across the story of what happened to Mary this week?
2: Well, I suppose you know we've all got our little egos, you know, and um at first, I thought, um, you know <laughs> it's not very it's not very nice not being disliked, you know, and especially being disliked without being uh, being allowed to state your case. No I felt that was unfair. I, I did feel that was a, a bit unfair. But um, I, I, I then thought really the more serious problem is the closing down of debate because we must have open debate. I mean, we of course, debate can be uh, conducted in a respectful and, 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 and decent way, but we can't have people simply deplatformed and cancelled because they are thought to have the, quote, wrong, unquote, Opinions, and I I feel this is um, this is a very important cause, really. Um, and unfortunately, in Ireland, um, sometimes there is, you know, a little bit too much groupthink, where mm-hmm. people. Um, and and I, indeed, it happens in other countries too. Because I I still follow quite a lot of what's going on in France, and they too are having a a, a debate on this very. Uh, uh, th- there are sort of events that are happening where women. Feminists are being cancelled by, requ- by the gender, transgender people. Um, and I suppose what's kind of concerning about it, John, is that the institutions tend to fold very easily. They don't really show much courage in mm. saying, well, no, we're going to stand our ground and we're going to have freedom of expression. They don't do that. Well, They give in to the pressure, which I think is regretful.
0: Well that that one hundred percent, and that this is a, a classic example of this, Sarah, um, uh, 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 what was your take on it when you you saw the news?
1: Well, I think it comes down to a a, a, a real fundamental question that we need to have to, we need to ask ourselves, which is what do we want the output of our universities to be? What do we want these people, these young people? to have when they leave university? Do we want them to have an ability to think for themselves and a broadened understanding of multiple themes and, you know, multiple issues? Um, or do we want them to have been reinforced in their opinions over and over again without ever having been challenged? And I think that we're starting to see that coming out of universities and it's a really, really big problem. You know, it it, it it's absolutely correct to talk, to, to have people come into your university who challenge your opinions, who talk about things you don't like. I mean, I come from, you know, a a strong feeling that the world doesn't owe it to you to agree with everything you think. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, young minds should be challenged. They they should hear things they don't like. They should be involved in debate. You know, when I was in university, like I'm the same age as you, John, 39, there was all kinds of people who came and spoke at at universities of all different, you know, of all different um, opinions, of all different cultures and creeds and whatever and you know there was things on in the evenings you didn't have to attend things but this idea that like we can all join together and intimidate to the point that the person who is coming is now cancelled and that event will not occur and that being seen by them as a win is really really depressing to me really worrying and and really something that we need to absolutely fight tooth and nail against because we do young people a disservice to allow them to do this, I think it's what, what, really wrong what what strikes
0: me about it, I have to say is that it's one thing it's very easy to say, and i i, I in, in case this comes across as contradicting you, Sarah, I completely agree with everything you said, but sometimes I think it, it's almost understated because you have this idea that we should listen to all different opinions and sometimes people will offend you and I think when you put it in those terms, sometimes you kind of make. I'm not saying you did, but one can make almost Mary here sound like she's some kind of dangerous radical. Yeah, like we yeah. like we have a duty to sit down and listen to, I don't know, D- David Irving, who denies the Holocaust, just to hear his point of view. And, you know, though we disagree with it, you know, he deserves free speech, and aren't we great for listening to him? It's very self-congratulatory congratulatory in a way. But in Mary's case, I mean, I've seen opinion polling, public opinion polling, on all of the positions in relation to, for example, the transgender debate, which is—I don't even think, Mary—that you were supposed to be talking about that. But you know, the, the, I think it was more general conversation of feminism. But because you had to, some of the tweets I saw as examples of your transphobia uh, and inverted commas, transphobia and inverted commas, um, was you know that you 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 agreed with the decision to shut the the Tavistock Clinic in London which was a decision taken by the UK government because of concerns about how that clinic was managing the treatment of very young children who were diagnosed with gender dysphoria, in inverted commas. You had criticised or you expressed some sympathy with Enoch Burke, which anecdotally, from the normal people I speak to, is not an uncommon position. And you had said uh, in relation to the Scottish Parliament. Uh, a debate on, on whether or not women should be, sorry, transgender me- women who are male-born should be accommodated in female prisons, you felt that women deserved their own spaces. And yet this is what was seen as beyond the pale and offensive. Positions that are, per every bit of public polling I've ever seen, sort of 60-70% propositions amongst the public. Um, Mary, you weren't even supposed to talk about these issues, am I right? You were supposed to talk about the, the stuff we discussed a moment ago, sort of the, the history of feminism and the evolution of the movement over the course of your long and distinguished career.
2: Well, yes, and, and with particular Focus on this notion of uh, intellectual diversity, if you like, where where we have different narratives of women coming to uh, coming into feminism from different backgrounds. I mean, a very strong element of feminism uh, really arose with the prohibition movement in America. It's, it's quite a, a, a small little vignette there, but it's quite interesting. It was really, it was really the women of America, and especially the women in the western coast, western cities, and uh, country, um, states who were really pushing for, and it was a woman's movement. It was a very interesting example. Uh, also, the same thing happened in Finland, because um, women were just fed up with uh, the, the, the chaps going off to the t- taverns and, 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 and getting drunk and drinking the wages for the children and so on. And there was also a, a well-established link between um, male uh, uh, alcohol consumption and and domestic violence, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's just a, a little vignette. It's a very interesting uh, little corner of, of, of uh, the history of feminism. And so I'm interested in all these different stories, you know, um, uh, which fed into the feminist, the, the broader feminist movement. But of course, uh, I, I wasn't intending to really uh, to focus at all on transgender. But one has to point out that it is splitting feminism at the moment. And you have, you know, women like in the UK, especially uh, uh, Suzanne Moore from the Guardian, who had a huge row left the Guardian, and also uh, uh, Julie. Bindel, who is a gay woman and a very strong feminist campaigner, who are absolutely vehemently critical of the transgender movement because uh, the problems that are are arising, for example, of uh, f- um, former men who are who are convicted of rape and are 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 being committed to women's prisons, and I think at a to me one of the most the injustices that ha- should be looked at and I- something i wrote about for some time is uh, the question of athletics and the idea that you could have Somebody who is born a man who is competing with a woman in athletics or in swimming, for example, and it's, it, it is really unfair on biological women because uh, anybody who is born a man will have that musculature and that testo- testosterone that they that they would have developed, and um, they will, uh, you know, it, uh, they will have a, a, a far greater advantage over a woman in that field, and I think that's an area where it's just unfair on women. I mean, at the same time, you know, I've met um, uh, Jan Morris, you know, who who transitioned as a famous writer. I've met uh, also April Ashley, who was uh, a kind of one of the first people to publicly transition in the 1960s. She she was rather a beautiful young man and became rather a beautiful old lady. And she was a very graceful person and I would absolutely be respectful and polite to her um, as she deserves. But nevertheless, you have medical scientists like Robert Winston, the IVF pioneer, saying, you can't change sex. Biologically, you can't because your bio, biology is based on your chromosomes. Then it's not based just on your genitalia, um, and you know. So you have to. I think that one. It seems to me you have to look at biological truth, but you do have a very strong. You do have this split in in uh, in among feminism, um, uh, you know, all over the world now. I, I mean, a lot of women, women on the when you look at the studies are sympathetic to transgender people i think they want to be kind it's simple you know um but nevertheless uh we have to look at uh look at the problems that are arising not least the huge number of girls who are now expressing the desire to transgender when they're 12 13 14 why has this gone up you know from Just a very, very rare condition into sort Mm -hmm. of thousands. It is a very strange thing that this is happening, and uh, I think uh, you know it's, it's very. It is a very serious thing. The 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 basis, some of the basis of it lies with. Uh, A feminist writer called Judith Butler, who's not very famous. She's not famous in the same way that Germaine Greer is famous, for example. But um, she wrote some very serious, difficult academic books, which gained huge traction, actually, in academia, in which she stated over and over again that sex was just a social construct, that it, sex was something which was created by society. It wasn't created by biology. And this became incredibly inf- influential right throughout the world, and especially in academic circles. So I suppose to some extent it's all bubbled to the surface at the moment. And well, it seems to me, for, you know, from what... I was told from at, at Mary Connolly in, in Limerick, the people who are in the transgender movement seem to be hypersensitive and 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 perhaps distressed people um, that you know they feel that they really have to defend their position and they do say things like um, that uh, there are transphobic people who are out to kill them and this uh, idea which I think is. So false and wrong and, and actually paranoid,
0: really. Well, I, I have to say, and I'll come back to Sarah in a second, but I, I have to say my impression of it is that the thing that I, uh, amused me in a way was that here you are invited to speak in Limerick on International Women's Day. And you're essentially being told that you're not welcome by people who were born male who now say that they're almost as good at being women as women are. Um, that there's that, that you know to, that, to suggest that a biological male isn't as much a woman as a woman uh, born woman is offensive Um, I am not a woman uh, never will be never will transition but but Sarah um, like, what's your take on this because you've had three kids you know what it's like to be a woman you you you, you you've, you've suffered all that comes with being a woman um does this kind of uh, and I mean, I'm sure, like everybody else, you want to be compassionate to those who are suffering body image issues and gender image issues and all the rest of it. But do you not get annoyed by this stuff?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it strikes me that, you know, biological women seem to be the ones who are losing the most in this entire movement, whether it's in sport or in safe spaces or, you know, anything else. But I think, You know, there's also what I'm also struck by is that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of questions that are worthy of asking, um, as Mary said, like that, you know, you're accused of being transphobic if you ask, like, why is there a sudden massive increase in 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 the numbers where where is this coming from i don't believe that those people were all dormant and silent up until now and that there was this level of 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 transgender people before and 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 they're just now have the confidence to come forward i have somebody you know close to me um who um went through a phase as a child uh she's female who um in the 90s wanted to change her name dressed in boys clothes um, insisted that she was a boy and absolutely refused to hear anything else, wanted to cut all of her hair off. Her mother refused, but ultimately wore a baseball cap, had a different name and was, I'm a boy. And because this transgenderism was never discussed at the time, her parents basically ignored it and she grew out of it. And this is something that I observed with my own eyes. And that person is now an adult female Um, and it was a phase and you know so one thing that really frightens me is if that person was born today would they have been you know given treatment and 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 listened to and and that that person ultimately grew out of it so you know there's lots of questions that are worthy of asking that you know should we could we do people have a phase you know I've, I've also seen a lot of um links with other with things like autism and things like so there's questions that are worthy of asking and 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 I've discussed this on the podcast with you before John that like when you look at university students that there's a lot of people who just don't are are getting away with not doing any thinking and you know these students are getting away with not doing any thinking for more than 10 minutes and as I said the output of the university degree is then I've never been challenged on any of my views, but I'm very much secure that I'm right about everything. And it's a terrible, you know, it's a terrible indictment of a university education in Ireland if you are able to get through it without ever having your strongly held views challenged and you're allowing your group think to go unchallenged and undebated throughout your university life. I think that's really a disservice to young people. And, And what it ends up with is people who are doing no thinking. And you end up with people who, and I've seen it myself, you know, in in later years, like people who will literally turn their chair around and put their back to somebody who has a different opinion of them, because God forbid they'd ever have to talk to somebody who thought differently. And, you know, like, that's not, that's not what we need young people to be like. And the, the reality of it is, you know, and I know, that like life's going to give you hard times life's going to challenge you life's going to bring you things you don't understand you don't like and if you have absolutely no skill set whatsoever to even be challenged by the simple or to even be faced by the simplest of debates about things that you may or may not agree with you've been failed by the university you attended if you ask me
0: i want to turn to a topic which is slightly related um about the the way young people think and the way university students in particular think, which is, I don't think it's insignificant that this event was scheduled for International Women's Day, because it strikes me that that's part of the reason for the hysteria about Mary's proposed appearance. And and one of the things that's occurred to me in recent years about International Women's Day, Sarah, is that it's become almost like a sort of secular Christmas for NGOs, There's this yeah. idea that it, it's one of yeah. the high high holy days of the sort of new Irish calendar that we used to have Christmas and Easter and the Assumption and, and and you know whatever the other religious festivals were. Now we have International Women's Day, Pride Week and International AIDS Day on the 1st of December. But these are the new holy days. And Mary really is, I think, being accused in a way of being a blasphemer. It's kind of like having a a, a Muslim or a Jewish cleric on the altar at the Feast of the Assumption. That's that is the way almost the, the kind of emotional hysterical reaction that we're seeing that that it's almost an offence against a kind of new religion. It's it's, well, it's we have fall.
1: secular blasphemy now. That's
0: we what we have. Do, so. We do. Um uh, uh, is uh, do you recognize what I'm saying? Because I, I feel like you know even at Christmas, I, I'm always surprised in Ireland at Christmas now that, that we have Christmas Day, but then Ten days later, on the sixth of January, the feast, of the Epiphany, we have far more media coverage of the thing that that is 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 now called Women's Christmas. Um, that there's there's like that, that 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 these people are creating their own sort of holy days, um, which are worthy of worship and celebration and and come and all the rest of it. And 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 interlopers, frankly, aren't welcome. I mean, I think
2: obviously. Ireland has uh, been very much to the fore in, in dropping the uh, old Christian feasts, in a way much more so than a country like France, which is very strongly uh, secular in its constitution. Uh, I mean, the French still uh, absolutely keep, you know, the the Assumption and uh, the Corpus Christi and, and the Holy Day, uh, the, which were Holy Days in a way, from which we get the word holiday, simply because they have this sense that it's their tradition. Whereas I suppose, I think in Ireland, there's a scramble to show how frightfully modern we are, and how we've dropped um, all those boring, old-fashioned old um, uh, traditions that used to apply to our grandmothers. Um, I mean, Nolignamon did have a source uh, in uh, Irish folklore in the past, but it was shared, it was also, 6th of January, was also called Little Christmas as well. So Mm -hmm. there was always that notion of the epiphany, but uh the notion of uh, of the women's christmas was there um right and it's in the sort of um devotional it's in sort of devotional magazines even in the 1930s where uh, families were supposed to not let their mothers do any housework at all on the 6th of January and spare and you know treat women royally which I think was quite nice Um, and I suppose that was really before there was a formal Mother's Day but the springtime does have these um uh, um, you know, they did it. There were these religious festivals. I mean, the 25th of March, the Feast of the Annunciation, um, which is the most celebrated um, event in Western art. I mean, you know, there's so many stunning. Pictures uh, and one of the first, of the, all the early Renaissance pictures, um, uh, you know, depict the Annunciation and it's considered to be a very significant. A very significant in the Church of England where it was Lady Day, that was kind of very important and that's kind of faded. So probably there is a kind of vacancy for a spring holiday which does have a feminine spin on it. Um, I mean, originally International Women's Day was a kind of communist thing. Actually, It was started in Russia, and it was taken up in the countries uh, which were um, then in the Warsaw Pact a little bit, um, and uh, you know it was, has kind of been, been spread since, the, since then. I don't see any. I don't see a, any harm to it. It's nice to have. I mean. The cal- calendar is full of special days anyway, you know, uh, of all kinds, all kinds of special mm-hmm. days from, um, you know, the history days and, um, you know, uh, uh, oh, I mean, there are all kinds of, I think there's even things like sort of toilet days where you have, <laughs> um, um, you know, campaign for more public lose which is a perfectly good campaign to have, indeed. But... um so there's nothing wrong with having kind of an international women's day but there is something wrong with making it very much of one strain of women only and excluding um women who may have a variety of opinions and i feel that's important to make it genuinely inclusive which well, is a word we hear here so very much on
0: that sarah is um my co-host and she's you know she agrees with me in a lot of things which means that she's probably not um in fairness uh top of the list of potential members of the Women's Council of Ireland and so I think it's fair to ask you Sarah uh you're uh do, do you feel feminism in its current form as practiced by the institutions of feminism in Ireland represents you in any way
1: no um I also don't think I think that like the idea of National Women's Day is great, but I don't think I think it became a a, a way for companies and NGOs to show off how, you know, woke they are and how pro women they are. But I find that kind of hypocritical in the sense that some of those companies would be doing, you know, let's just private companies might be offering terrible for example, maternity leave options or whatever. And like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, look, we had a, we had a, we had a, we marched in the National Women's Day and we did this for National Women's Day. And it's like, it's all platitudes and nonsense. And it's not, there's no real, you know, there's nothing really behind it. A lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And as for the National Women's Council of Ireland, John, I mean, I like the, I, I think I mentioned this before that last year they had a rally And it was pathetic in the the sense that it was, you know, people, a group of women that the National Women's Council like agree with and support speaking and not one, you know, not one person that might be going against the grain on any topic that they're interested in. It's the same with politics. You'd often see them talk about, you know, first woman in politics, this, and, you know, women in politics, and, you know, people in the past. They never mention Margaret Thatcher because that doesn't fit the grain. But the reality of it is, is that women and feminism should mean all women, women that you don't agree with, because men don't differentiate between, you know, like they'll just say the first president of, of wherever. They won't say... They are the first men man that we liked they just you know like they don't mm-hmm. differentiate and it's a terrible you know way to 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 or to be to organize things the national women's council of ireland do it all the time well i you know, saw
0: the, i i saw speaking of the national women's council and the political bias that their march next week is in association with rosa the socialist feminist group which is i, I think the female pro choice wing of the people before profit political party or one well, of the socialist go. parties. And I thought it was extraordinary that a taxpayer-funded organization was partnering essentially with a radical left organization to have a, 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 a celebration of International Women's Day. And I was thinking, how many ordinary women do Rosa, for example, represent? But on that note, Mary, I want to ask you a question. Um, how relevant do you think, you know, you grew up in an era where feminism was, I think, indisputably necessary. To bring, as you said earlier on, to modernise um, sort of attitudes and and bring, or, or perhaps more accurately, to bring laws more in tune with what modern attitudes at the time were. Do you think feminism, as it is currently being practised, has relevance to the average woman, or do you think it has retreated, as Sarah and I might argue, into sort of a, 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 a the realm of fringe activism? It, it, what's your perspective on it, having lived through? Um, six decades of journalism chronicling all of this stuff. What's your broad assessment of where feminism is at the moment, and where it might need to go?
2: Well, um, I mean, I think Sarah's absolutely right. By the way, she's absolutely hit the nail on the head by talking about the way uh, the corporate culture has captured. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, elements like feminism and a lot of the woke movements as well. And it's really just about merchandising and marketing, really. You know, it's just, uh, 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 I mean, you know, they um, they put, you know, they uh, associate themselves with uh, Campaigns of various kinds in order to virtue signal that they're, you know, very cool and they're with the kids and so on. And there is, of course, a bit of a generation gap uh, on some of these issues. So there are. As is media quite often trying to ca- trying to identify with the younger demographics to say, you know, we're really down with the kids and we're cool and so on. But it may not uh, reflect in their actual policies or in their actual pay policies or, or whatever. And I suppose that is something. I mean, there are, there are a lot of contradictions really, which are in some ways fascinating. Um, John, you—I mean—you mentioned the Rosa Group. Well, of course, that's um, uh, named for Rosa Luxemburg, you yes. know, who was a Trotskyist revolutionary, and uh, in the early early 20th century, and um, she was, of course, a feminist. But so was Mrs. Pankhurst, a feminist, after all, and she was a Tory, you know, mm. and she actually, you know, won the vote uh I mean she had been a liberal but she became a really strong tory uh so you know you have the, there again you're kind of looking at the spectrum but it's kind of um paradoxical really in a way that um Sort of the you you have a kind of Rosa Luxemburg uh, um, trend where you have a strong emphasis on socialism and feminism, or indeed Marxism and feminism. Um, At the same time, really, uh, capitalism has done everything it can to kind of uh, climb on the bandwagon and see how they can kind of sell feminism to sell their product Um, and I suppose the most famous example of that and a very successful example is the beauty uh, company L'Oreal which marketed this very very clever um, uh, slogan because you're worth it and it's it's a kind of that that's very much emphasizing you know uh, you have the empowerment you have the self-worth which is and a perfectly positive message but for heaven's sake they're, they're selling makeup they're selling slap you know yeah. which you know which some elements of feminism back in the 60s and 70s thought were completely disapproved of makeup because they thought makeup was Turning women into little painted dolls, you know, instead of looking at women's characters and you know their achievements. Um, but so you have this kind of rolling capitalist narrative all the time of selling um, their products and mer- merchandising their products um, and using a, a sort of a feminist a, a sort of feminist slogans, which is a very interesting, uh, you know, interesting kind of. Um, trends that's happening. And, I mean, a a lot of things have, of course, changed naturally over the last uh, 60 years since I I was first uh, interested in feminism in the 60s. Um, And the whole world has turned upside Mm -hmm. down. And the left and the right were very different. And what's really happened, in a way, is that the left has lost the argument, really, about economics because the left and the feminist left, uh, including Simone de Beauvoir, um, always argued that uh, women could only be liberated under a socialist or a communist regime, that this was the only road to equality. Well, actually... um, Again, what happened was that um, capitalism sort of overtook this, and the left lost the economic arguments, so they turned more and more you know to to culture war and and to take up the culture war because back in the day, remember the trade unions were very much against equal pay um uh, you know, because they uh, felt it would be a disadvantage to working men, and uh-huh. they regarded uh, the man's wages as the family wages. I mean, that is highlighted in a quite a good movie called Maiden Dagenham, which is in, about a British... You know, British strike in the 1970s where all the trade union men were completely against women having equal pay because they felt it would undercut men. And, um, but that's all been forgotten now that the fact that some elements of the left were against equality, um, because the sort of culture wars have, have overtaken. So it's a very rich field of, um, of change and paradox, uh, in, in, in a variety of ways.
0: Well, I want to finish the podcast uh, over the next few minutes by talking, actually, because it is the week of International Women's Day. And we and I want to talk about a phrase we hear a lot about uh, these days, which is misogyny. Because as Sarah will know, you may not know, Mary, I was actually accused of misogyny last week because I reported for my sins that a prominent Irish journalist had, after a very short period of time in her job, left that job. I simply sent out a tweet saying... Um, News reaches me that this person has left her job, and the journalist in question took to social media, Sarah, as you will know, to accuse me of, essentially, uh, she said that I wouldn't have reported as news if she'd been a man, and in my view, she heavily implied that there was something creepy or anti-woman about what I had done, which was, I can tell you because I know what I was thinking, absolute nonsense. But it seems to me at the moment that there is this sense to which misogyny, which I would have understood always as being the systematic hatred of women, perhaps sexually based, perhaps believing women were inferior, saying things like she's only good for the kitchen. That notion of what misogyny is has been replaced by this idea that um, essentially, if you don't have the correct political views as liberal women, you therefore hate all women. uh, so perhaps Sarah, I'm putting words in your mouth, and I don't intend to. But but, what are your thoughts on sort of as we head into this week of International Women's Week about the state of gendered relations between men and women, uh, and whether misogyny? Um, so sorry, sorry, no. I, I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Mary. But I want I want to ask Sarah first, if you don't
1: mind. Yes, please. Sorry. Uh, I mean, John, talk talk about a mouthful. Um, yeah, I mean. Like I know the tweet you're talking about, and I, again, I think th- the point i are going to make is something Mary said it really well just there, which is a lot has happened in feminism in the last sixty years, and what I what I don't hear a lot of is an acknowledgement of that. Um, and it, what's happening is that feminism and you know, the culture wars and the gender wars and everything is all coming together, and it's it, it comes back in full circle to to why you know this has happened in UL this week, which is that. You're, you're it's the culture of victimhood we talked about it a couple of so now your feminism is now your cloak of victimhood that you can put around yourself nobody can say anything about you nobody can say anything to you and you know if you and you see the world through the prism of that you are being victimized because you are a woman that's not the way I live choose to see the world I choose to see the world that huge inroads have been made in the last 60 years for me as a woman, now nearly 40 with three children, all of the things you discussed at the start of the podcast are, you know, almost comedically in the past, we're able to, you know, laugh about it and go, oh my God, wasn't that, isn't that mad that you used to have to quit your job if you were in the civil service or whatever. But we're, we're way beyond that. I'm not saying we're all the ways that we could be, but definitely there is huge progress made. And and I don't feel, I, I, I see the world as, Um, positive for me as a woman I see lots of opportunities for me as a woman and I don't feel like a victim and I think that that tweet that you're talking about is is almost a microcosm for this victim culture where everything that happens to you is because you're a woman and that tweet must be personally victimizing you as a woman and you never would have written that as a man I think it's nonsense I think it's a terribly unhappy way to view the world personally and I think that you know, using your 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 woman, the fact that you're a woman, um, and wrapping the, your victimhood around you as a cloak is 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 not a great way to live, not a great way to learn, not a great way to uh, hear other opinions because you're just able to dismiss everything everybody says as just being misogynistic. And again, it, it it's 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 not the way I see the world, and it's not the way I choose to see
0: tweets well, or anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how I see the world as a as, as the only man in this conversation coming into International Women's Week. And I'll turn to you on this, Mary, which is that I find the world as a man very confusing because I'm constantly getting two conflicting messages from it. And the first message is obviously that I should respect women, uh, which I do, and treat them as my equals, which I do, and treat them as human beings rather than anything else, which I do. And yes, at the same time, when I go on TikTok, when I go on almost any internet site, I am persistently bombarded by messages, usually from capitalist institutions, um, and occasionally not from capitalist institutions, telling me that you know um, women are effectively sex objects and that I should view them as objects and I should objectify them. And and there's a the const- I'm constantly being sold women as objects um, on the internet. And I, I'm not speaking purely for myself. I'm speaking for the modern Youngish, not as young as I was. Man, um, and at the same time, we're being told conflictingly that we must completely respect them. And I think there's this inherent contradiction between those two messages, which is at the root of a lot of this angst. Um, the on the one hand, the massive sexualization of women and the their their, their sale to to male to, to to males almost as a product from a very young age, and on the other hand, this constant messaging to men that that very commodification is sort of sinful and reflective of their own misogyny. So Mary, how do you think we solve that conflict, or do you even agree with me that there is a conflict?
2: Oh, no, I absolutely agree with what you're saying indeed, and it's it's a rather distressing you know to learn that so many young people, uh, quite young teenagers, I think a quarter of young teenagers have seen really violent pornography on their phones. Um, you know, which is a really, uh, you know, a horrible thing. And, you know, if, when we look back um, on the past where when we were m- more old-fashioned and unreformed, uh, I'm terribly grateful that I didn't have that kind of fr- rather frightening kind of material, you know, under my eyes when I was uh, a mixed-up teenager. Um, so I, I I think that is... is is. Is very much a factor, but maybe you know the maybe well there's a sort of humorlessness really in some of the um, some of the approaches. Um, I mean, if you look at kind of movies and things like that, there's always a kind of. The, the romantic the rom-com traditionally right back to the 1930s always began with a man and a woman absolutely hating each other you know this is absolutely essential to the to the rom-com and you know the the woman is saying my aren't men awful you know and they dreadful and uh, um, and and the man is saying you know uh, uh, disparaging things about sort of you know uh, women something like if you take a uh, even in in musical Um, musical comedies like My Fair Lady, you know, you've got uh, you've got uh, Professor Higgins as the kind of uh, old, crusty misogynist bachelor who thinks, you know, women are, uh, are why can't a woman be more like a man? I mean, that's all part of it's all part of the humorous humor and the tension there is a tension between the sexes, of course there is because they are different and because often they do want different things from life, but of course love and sex and and humour are there to kind of moderate that tension and, um, you know, to, to bring us together as human beings and get over um, these sort of adversarial parts of, uh, of the male-female relationship, which uh, will always have that tension because the tension can also be part of the excitement of the attraction to the opposite sex, the attraction to that which is different. Um, And I mean, what Sarah said was, was so nice. And I have to say, looking back, you know, on my career when I was young, men were terribly nice to me. They were very helpful. They were very helpful to us as young feminists we were very well supported by men in journalism and by the editors who really were very, very encouraging. And, you know, at the end of the day, women are mothers of sons. They are sisters of brothers. They're wives of husbands. They're, they are daughters of fathers. They've got m- men in their own lives, you know. And a lot of women, I think, don't like this a constant narrative about... Uh, toxic masculinity and 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 oppressive patriarchy because all the time because it doesn't um correspond to the real experience of life um but a little bit of conflict i think you know sure i think it probably adds to the spice of life and and to the spice of what is sometimes called the war between the sexes but can also be you know the, the attraction between the sexes
0: well I, I I couldn't put it better. Sarah, do you have anything to add before we go?
2: No, that's it, John. You just
1: you you need to surround yourself with more hardcore feminist women. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, folks, that was the conversation that uh, apparently was too dangerous for students in University College Limerick to have. Um, I have to say, and we have an editorial coming out on this. It'll be out actually by the time you listen to this podcast. I have to say, I think I think what UL did was um disgraceful. Mary might be too polite to say that, but I'm not. Um I think it's dreadfully unfortunate. Um, but I'm so glad, Mary, that you had the chance to talk to us. And of course, as ever, well listeners can make up their own minds. So so thank and the, you. The, and
1: and John, just to add as well, that the, the students of UL they missed out on you know, such a a, a rich and long career in hearing about it and hearing about you know how lots of the privileges that especially the women enjoy today came up came to them and came about like what a shame
0: but it is it's anyway. it, It's such a shame but hopefully hopefully mary there'll be another opportunity for you i'm sure there will be but for now thank, uh, thank you
2: very much thank you very much and there has been a lot of very positive comment i have to say upholding freedom of speech and i think that really is a, a, a very good thing and i'm glad and grateful for that
0: Well, on that note, folks, thank you very much, Mary. Thank you uh, very much, as ever, Sarah. We will be back next
1: week for another edition of The Week That Really Was. Thank you, and have a great weekend.